2: Welcome to Pod on the Tyne, your go-to Newcastle United podcast from The Athletic. Coming up on this week's show. Fourth in the league, two weeks from a cup final, a record-breaking unbeaten run. It's the weirdest crisis in football history. Strawberry breakthrough, club owners buy-back Gallagher land, And Bobby Ninety, the Athletics' tribute to a Geordie football god. Hello, this is Pod on the Tine. I am Taylor Payne. I'm delighted to welcome the
3: whole gang yet again. Jacob is here. Jacob, how are you doing? You all right? I'm very good. I'm back down in London this week, which has given me a different perspective on life.
2: Everything changes when you go south. That's uh, that's what happens. Uh, George is here. Tell me George. about it. You know all about the south. Tell me about it, because <laughs> I've just come back from
1: down south.
4: Oh, boo-hoo, boo-hoo.
1: Oh, Jesus. How was it? Uh,
2: it was a long way, Taylor. It was a very long way for that. It's about as far south as you can go without getting your feet wet, isn't it? Yeah. That place. Yeah.
1: So, obviously, it was the south coast, and therefore, obviously, I was there. Um, the handover between Chris and Jacob has gone absolutely perfectly, as you can tell by the
2: fact it was me in Bournemouth. Just slotted in nicely. And yeah, Chris perfect. Woff's here as well, Chris, aren't you? Hello. Hi, I'm indeed. You looking well?
4: Thank you. Thank you.
2: Surprisingly so.
4: Yes. I got a little bit of sleep last night, actually, so I'm doing all right. But it's now. It's now uh, I'm winning nine three in the who James is weed on between me and Alice stakes so far. So uh, uh,
2: lovely stuff, lovely stuff.
1: Uh, what's the yeah. score in terms of James in terms of being weed on by you? No, I can't possibly say. That. <laughs> <laughs> Just realised what I was saying as I was going there. Oh
2: no! Um, no, forget. No, that. no, no. Right, sorry no. about that. No, no. I apologise, Jacob, they're, they're, they're normally so well-behaved, but this is disgraceful stuff, isn't
3: it? No, it's fine. We gave it a good two and a half minutes into recording before descending into anarchy, so it's just to see if there's still some real tactical discipline on the podcast. Honestly, toilet, toilet talk straight away out the
2: gates. Uh, right then, let's talk about Newcastle United uh, against Bournemouth. 1-1 at full time. Um, are we worried yet, George? Is it time to start getting worried? I mean, personally speaking, for me, it isn't. How do you feel? Uh,
1: yes, it's one. That's one of those interesting questions because how worried, how just how worried am I about Newcastle United being on their joint longest unbeaten league run in their history and being fourth in the table and in a cup final, and in a cup final. Yeah. Having said that, it wasn't very good, was it? It certainly wasn't a very good first half. I can't think of many worse this season, if any. <laughs> And, you know, I think Alan Shearer described them, Alan from work described them as leggy that day. And I think that's probably, I think that's probably fair enough. I'm certainly not worried. I don't think that's the right, I don't think that's the that's the right word. But a bit of sort of tre- trepidation, I suppose. We are, you know, we're close to a massive game against Liverpool and we're also close to the cup final. And there is that sort of, I've fi- got that feeling that they're, that they've sort of run out of steam a little bit. Yeah. That's how it feels to me, and it's not. You know, it's not just that game. It's been, it's been a little while. I mean, I think the good thing is that there are now two massive games coming up that everybody has no choice but to lift themselves for. But yeah, it wasn't a good performance. Brilliant that they stayed unbeaten, but um, not fluid, fluent, not fluid, and it just feels to me like they're they're labouring.
2: Yeah, a little bit. Shades of the, the West Ham game again there. Newcastle look physically tired, but I've, I've got a feeling that they're mentally tired as well. I think this has been a lot for them in the last few months.
4: Yeah, I mean, something Eddie Howe's been trying to push back on is this idea of, you, of the, the fact that they are fatigued, and he sort of, during his press conferences, there was an odd exchange where he basically was, was talking about uh, that, that whenever he feels tired, you sort of speak to yourself, and then you, you, you basically, it's a psychological mindset almost, but... Uh, for the first time, I exchanged a few messages with people inside the dressing room. And they did. There was even an acceptance that they probably were jaded down there. That was that was from people even inside the j- dressing room. So I think that there is an acceptance that they've reached a stage in the season, both physically in terms of just the number of players who have gone down and who they who they haven't used over and over again. Eddie Howe has sort of fourteen or fifteen players he calls upon over and over again, which says a lot about squad depth. But then also, psychologically, the fact that it probably has slipped towards Wembley that this cup final for a lot of players, the majority of the players in that dressing room, haven't won something before. There are some, the likes of Sean Longstaff and Dan Byrne, who obviously have that emotional connection with the club and how huge a day out they realise that's going to be. And very much their focus... That they would argue, I'm sure it hasn't slipped, but it just feels like at least that is something that that's in the, in the in the background in the mind that they are considering that, and I think that that did really affect them. For the first half an hour, I thought Newcastle were really, really poor. It's a good job that Bournemouth are poor because otherwise I think Newcastle would have probably lost that game. Yes, they showed resilience to get back into the match, but the fact that Bournemouth are pretty toothless also aided them as well.
2: It seemed as well, Jacob, that Newcastle's conceded the same goal that they conceded <laughs> last week against West Ham. They're just, they've just they've had Fabian score scoring the same goal twice and now they're conceding the same goal uh, twice. It was, uh, again, people losing their men from corners and, and people getting free and, and
3: just the defending wasn't as good as it has been yeah it's one where it felt like watching it at the time like you could point to about three or four individual errors possibly i was slightly more sympathetic watching it back because i do think it was quite a good piece of set piece design from bournemouth they sort of managed to draw burn away from his zone, and i think burn had to go forward for it and then that flick on just left that exposed space at the back post for a Sinesi? Is that how you say it? Sinesi? I'm not very good on my Argentinian Sinesi, pronunciation. Sinesi, tomato, tomato. He was hard. I liked the look of him. Um, and yeah, so, so I think I'm a bit more sympathetic after kind of re-watching it, and I'll put round down to a good bit of set-piece design by Bournemouth.
1: By the way, I just wanted to say, if everybody is a little bit distracted by the thought of Wembley, then join the bloody club, because I can't think about anything else. And you know, the club can't think about anything else If you and fans can't think about anything else if you look at the rush for tickets and and all the rest of it. And, you know, players are only human. As Chris says, there are people in, you know, this. It's, it has the potential to be life-changing for all of us, you know, who, who might be there or, or part of the club or who follow the club. And for these players, it's, you know, it's the chance to be immortalised. I mean, it really is. I mean, it's a massive deal. And so... Of course, I'm sure Howe and his staff will have been impressing upon everybody that they have to focus, that the, these games are really important. But they're only human. Maybe in a couple of years' time, two or three years' time, people at the club will be able to be hard, hard-nosed about these things and think, OK, it's a big game, but it's just another big game. At the moment, though, this is a massive deal. It's a massive deal for everybody concerned. And if if they have you know, half a thought or... Half an eye on this in a in a couple of weeks' time. Then, they're human beings. I don't blame them. I I know that I certainly do.
4: In terms of when you asking earlier, Taylor, if Newcastle fans should be worried now, and in terms of the, these results, yes, it's it's it, they've extended this unbeaten run, which is now extraordinary. Seventeen games is it now, and and it, which is a a, a club record but it draws seem frustrating and it sort of mirrors the start of the season but I think the difference with this is that these results will be painted by what happens at Wembley if Newcastle go and win at Wembley then it doesn't really matter what happened either side of it to a certain degree I know it does in terms of potential Champions League qualification European qualification come the end of the season but if Newcastle look leggy and distracted up until the cup final and then turn up on cup final day and are brilliant then it doesn't really I, I, I think that a lot of people will say that didn't really matter and so I think that we will only know the true extent of how people feel about these games and the hangover from them once Wembley has been and gone
2: yeah I think part of the worry that I've that I've picked up on 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 Twitter is not so much that we are drawn games it's who we are drawn them against I mean I don't think fans would be too concerned if we're drawn against Liverpool and Man City in the forthcoming games but the fact we're playing against Bournemouth who've been awful at times this season West Ham who've struggled for form although have turned it around a little bit in, in more recent weeks it's the fact that those draws are coming against teams that we feel like we should beat now and we are capable of beating there wasn't an awful lot of quality in that first half at all was there George but there was a genuine moment of brilliance from Alan St Maxim and Sean Longstaff and Miggy Almiron popping up yeah. at the back post to put the ball in the net and it, it was the only bit of quality in that first half yeah that
1: was a, it was a it was a really good goal and. Great to see St. Maximar driving in like that. Longstaff again clearly, you know, been having more lessons from um, from Alan from work, so managing to hit the target again and then Almiron puts it. Great save that. Yeah, it was a, it was a really good save. And yeah, it was it, it was a good moment. And there weren't enough of those, you know, there weren't enough of those things. It's funny, I mean, just just again to kind of come back to what you 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 said there. I mean, I've had a I've had the thought for a long time that you know one of the reasons why what newcastle have done has been so impressive this season is because they've been playing at their absolute limit and they've all been playing above themselves and i don't know how sustainable that was i mean you know as long as it went on it's brilliant and you you absolutely embrace it and love it and enjoy every moment and it's great to see sort of everybody out, outperforming themselves like that i just don't know how sustainable that was I love to see the fact that they're still able to kind of grip onto games even when games aren't going their, their way. But and you know, the other thing to say though is that if this is Newcastle's dip, then they're dipping from an extraordinary place. I mean, I hope, you know, and I I do think you have to t- kind of take a step back sometimes and say that clearly the longer they stay in the top 4, you want them, to, you know, you want them to to be there and stay there, but you know, I I One of the kind of interesting things about the weekend was, of course, it was Howe's opportunity to go back to this club that he'd completely rebuilt and uh, taken through the divisions. It was very, very emotional. I kind of thought there was something interesting in that whole thought, though, of him coming back as a Newcastle man. And the Newcastle that he now has as his home is is dissatisfied with coming to Bournemouth and getting a draw, whereas two years ago, whatever... Newcastle were going to the South Coast, usually with me there, Chris, as you'll know, and getting absolutely hammered.
4: Oh, have you been in the South Coast? You should have mentioned.
1: Yeah, I've been to the South Coast a few times, yeah. And I don't know. I'm I know that we have to treat games in their own right, and that's fair, but you know, the the Newcastle that Howe brought back to to Bournemouth is this like ferocious thing. Yeah. It's like we're now ferocious with ourselves for not winning. I don't know. I just think there's something coming kind of quite beautiful about
2: that yeah right it is an entirely different beast now isn't it and, and I think part of what the frustration is at times is that we've had this sort of uplifting form this uplifting uh, the whole feeling around the club and and I think everyone just wants this to keep going but it, like you say it would be nigh on impossible for it to keep going it's been going at this pace and gathering mem- momentum for so long it was going to have to drop off at some point wasn't it and um, Chris, that second half, it, it was still lacklustre, but ever so slightly improved. But Newcastle just weren't really a goal threat, were they?
4: No, and there was just sloppy bits of play. I mean, Dan Byrne... There was a lot highlighted about uh, when you know, he nearly gave the ball away and it just seemed to just. Switched just off. It didn't seem to even compute what had happened, switched off. But he wasn't the only one. I thought Sven Botman was very under par compared to to normal. I thought there were a lot of performances really across the pitch. Newcastle's midfield were very sloppy in possession. Joe Linton was played as a number six, yeah. which was a bit odd as well. I didn't really. I think you saw the limitations of him being there. I thought he did some good things, but you also saw. And, Nobody is going to replace Bruno Guimaraes. We know that within the squad. But even so, it was a strange... It was almost like they wanted a bit more muscle in there. How kept on referring to how athletic and physical that Bournemouth team were. But it just seemed a bit of a confused performance all around from from the from the team. I actually thought Almiron, although he scored, I thought he was poor. I thought uh, there was a lot of praise for Gordon when he came on. He did a few nice things and it was difficult to come into that environment. But he certainly, certainly wasn't the sort of real start performance that he had the weekend. Before, so it was hopefully just one of those matches, and Newcastle are, are gonna. Maybe it's what they needed to spark them back into action. Maybe it's a performance of that was that poor, and they still managed to get a point from it. But as I read reiter- as I say, said earlier on, I will reiterate it. If Bournemouth were any good, they would have won that game. I think
3: just the other thing, which is quite interesting, just picking up on Gordon is that he was playing as a number eight rather than a winger, and that's a position which he wasn't really expected to play or it's not one which he's ever played with any great success for Everton before. And the fact that he came in and sort of did okay, link up play is not really his strength. He's more about kind of trying to be direct to goal and actually get efforts on target. The fact he came in didn't look kind of overwhelmed by it in an early game, even though it wasn't the a turn. I still think that was pretty encouraging.
2: There was almost times when he was playing like a number 10 and he was up... Quite high up the pitch, and uh, and you had long stuff, and Joe Linton dropping in as what, Chris? A double pivot in a four two three one. Absolutely, yes. Occasionally that was happening. Thanks for that. <laughs> I had to get you to say that because I can't possibly say that with a straight face on this podcast. It would never happen. Uh, Jacob Alexander Isaac. Let's talk about him. Um, po- probably the first time he's not really imposed himself on a game. Um, he was out muscled a little bit, wasn't he? And he didn't seem to have.
3: Just that spark that he's brought into games when he's played in the past. Just a bit quiet, I think. Like, he wasn't... When he started against Wednesday, part of the issue was that, although he was getting into position, he wasn't finishing his chances. It didn't quite feel like he was getting in the same positions. It felt like he was making quite a lot of diagonal runs to be outside to try and pick up the ball. And that didn't quite seem to be on the same page as the midfield wingers. Just that link-up wasn't quite there.
2: Yeah it, it it's interesting isn't it because he totally changes the dynamic when he plays instead of Callum Wilson he's a totally different type of striker isn't he and the the physicality that Wilson tends to bring in bullying defenders and just generally being a bit of a shit Isaac doesn't seem to have that george and it and and it's it's a different thing and it's not a criticism of his but i i do like having wilson up there as a focal point and Isaac does tend to drift around doesn't
1: he yes i i agree with that um i think they missed wilson albeit wilson hasn't been in in great form himself um hopefully he'll be back he'll be back this weekend
2: Fingers crossed, yes, and Kieran Trippier as well, George. We have to mention him just briefly before we go. He's still a shining light, isn't he? He drives the standards of the team. Let's be honest.
1: Yeah, and you need all your nails to get out of a match like that with a point, and you know they 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 needed that.
2: But you know Trippier, he's still a pinch yourself presence for me. Absolutely, yeah, one hundred percent. Right then, let's crack on. You can go to theathletic.com forward slash Newcastle Pod, where you can pick up a subscription to The Athletic and pay just £1.99 a month for your first year. We'll be back in a minute to talk about Strawberry Place.
5: Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover,
2: Right then, uh, Newcastle United have bought back the long-term lease on the land at Strawberry Place, situated at the south of St James's Park behind the Gallagher end. There's a long story here behind this. Can you summarise the history of this for me, Chris? Uh, you're the man for this.
4: I'll give a very brief potted history, yeah. So in 1998, uh, under Freddie Shepard and Sir John Hall's ownership, Newcastle bought the 125-year lease on a 1.62-acre plot just outside St James's Park on Strawberry Place, which is basically where the metro station is, St James's Metro Station is. Uh, that was under that that land was basically bought with potential uh, stadium expansion or at least club associated development in mind. At one stage, they looked into possibly building a casino and a hotel and various other elements. For whatever reason, it didn't happen. Then, when Mike Ashley bought Newcastle United in July 2007, his company St James's holdings limited also acquired the co-ownership of the lease by his company and basically later on he ended up t- disassociating that from the rest of his companies within newcastle united and tried to sell the lease on the land and eventually he did sell the lease on the land for it seems from company's house to have been about nine million pounds and um, and sold it to, to a company to develop offices, hotels, and uh, also uh, shop spaces, which was very controversial. And I was at a meeting in 2019 where that basically the planning meeting where that was finally confirmed. Lovely
2: stuff. Yeah. Um, you were at that extraordinary planning meeting, weren't you? It's one of those stories that Newcastle fans have been talking about for a long time. And it's interesting to hear that it's come back into club ownership. Obviously, the. The 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 commentary is going to be: Can we expand Saint James's Park, George? Is this something which is still being talked about uh, about expansion, or is it going to be something different with that land? Do you think?
1: It is. We should say um, contracts have been exchanged in this land. It hasn't been. If you've ever bought a house, you know that this pro, how this process works. It's not been completed. That that might take some time. the The point is that they they now have have the option to use this land. We all know it would be very difficult for them to extend the ground where it is. There are all sorts of restrictions on the east side because of those beautiful uh, Georgian terraces that are there. But having that option to be able to kind of come back is one that uh, that they can now explore. But we're still a way away from that. And at the moment they're talking about turning the that area into a sort of fan zone. The word that they use is innovative so that's kind of interesting and encouraging but yeah the point is it means that expansion expanding the Gallagher end is now back on the table it's back part of the agenda and that is very very important because we know you know particularly at the moment just how difficult it is for people to get into the ground so yeah that's very good news.
4: Just to touch back upon that planning meeting in November uh, 2019 I was there in at Mansion House in Jesmond as were uh, representatives from the NUST, including uh, Greg Tomlinson, the Newcastle Head Supporters Trust. And there'd been... More than 1,700 objections lodged, uh, lodged against the proposal, mainly from Newcastle United fans, a lot of which have been pushed by the NUST. But I was there, I was, the, there was only me and one other local journalist uh, who, who basically writes about uh, local democracy for, for the Chronicle Journal. No other journalists were there, and yet it turned out it was a huge story, and I was live-tweeting from it. Newcastle United did not send a representative at the time, obviously owned by Mike Ashley, and yet half an hour after I left the meeting... I remember going to Newcastle. I was meeting George for coffee. Actually, actually, it was when we were going to launch this podcast. We were having a meeting to determine that we were going to launch this podcast, <laughs> and I had a half an hour phone call outside of the coffee shop with uh, an official from Newcastle United basically trying to ask me what I was going to write about, repeatedly telling me this wasn't a story to do with Newcastle United, yet being on the phone to me from (laughs) Newcastle United, which tells you everything you need to know about how Mike Ashley viewed this situation, how the club was at the time uh, in terms of selling the land and that they didn't want that to be out there in terms of the issue that it was. But everyone knew the potential ramifications. It's not that they definitely will expand into that area, but purchasing, uh, selling off the land, the lease on the land, behind... Uh, the Gallagher basically stopped any potential for that ever to happen and that's why it was so controversial
2: the the latest development though Chris as well it's come slightly out the blue hasn't it I don't think anybody had the conversation about the Gallagher land for a long time because we've all presumed that it was gone and done and dusted but it's just suddenly being put back on the table I mean is this something that's been in the works for a little while of have people known about this or did it just suddenly come out of the blue for everyone
4: well, I know that that it was something which the the ownership had been looking at from a distance before they came in, and also there'd been issues with the actual companies who had bought the lease on the land had gone into financial difficulties, and that meant that the development didn't happen as quickly as they necessarily wanted to. They were granted planning permission in November, uh, twenty nineteen, and some work started, but basically they didn't get too far into the into basically the building of it, which meant that selling it or, selling it back to Newcastle or selling it to someone else became a possibility. And obviously, the owners of Jumped in and hopefully have managed to secure this uh, subject to those contracts being completed.
2: Yeah, thank, thank, absolute, thank heavens for that. So there is a prospect in the future that we could see St James's Park with another sort of eight to ten thousand fans in it if there is an extension, Jacob. That would be. Quite a, a menacing uh, thing, I'd imagine, for away fans and for teams coming to St James's Park. You've recently sampled St James's Park for the first time properly and an extra 10,000 fans in there would really ramp it up, wouldn't it?
3: Yeah, I mean, I'm also thinking about it in terms of discovering Newcastle as a city. When you see St James's kind of hanging above it on the hill, if the Gallagher to the end which kind of gets raised up, that's going to be, and that's the area kind of facing the river, kind of the bulk of the city, that's going to be kind of a really... Quite different viewpoint to kind of a Newcastle, you see. And it is nice, on the other hand, in that sort of having your fans at the same height as the away fans kind of able to sort of face them across the pitch <laughs> in kind of quite a menacing sort of, I don't know, colosseumy sort of way.
2: Yeah, throw paper airplanes at them, like kind anything. Of Excellent, yeah. Great stuff. Right then, let's finish off this little section now. We'll be back in a moment to talk about the Liverpool game and something else very special as well. So, Nabbies uh, need changing, so we shall proceed chrysalis into the last section of the show. We're expecting a magnificent atmosphere on Saturday at 5 30 when Jurgen Klopp's Liverpool will be coming to St James's Park. George, it's going to be a special day, isn't it?
1: Well, it will. It's a huge game, um, particularly after what happened earlier this season, but it will be a big occasion, very emotional. It would have been so Bobby Robson's 90th birthday. It's something that we here at The Athletic have been preparing for for a very long time now, um, months if not a whole year. And we've already started off with a special podcast series, which I hope some of you would have already listened to um, on the Pod and the Time feed, based on a book that I did with Bobby towards the end of his life. And we get to hear we get to hear him speak again, very emotional. I do want to say in a bit of um sort of internal backslapping, I want to say a huge thank you to Ollie Bellwood, our brilliant producer who has who has worked on this podcast series. Ollie is brilliant at what he does, you know doesn't get credit for it because he's he's not up front like we are. Um, but he's he's absolutely thrown himself into it. Really proud of him, and um, yeah, lots of really really exciting stuff to come. Um, the rest of this this week, um, as well as lots of written stuff, which I'll I'll talk about. We're collaborating with War Flags, so I think you know what that might mean for the match at the weekend. We are also bringing out, and I say we, not the Athletic, but a. Uh, 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 a uh, Fanzine is being brought out, which is going to raise funds for the Sir Bobby Robson Foundation, and everything's been done under this Bobby 90 banner, um, which I love. I love that idea of Bobby Apostrophe 90 echoing back to Italia 90, and also, of course, to his 90th birthday. And the design um that you'll see on the podcast, if you look on the athletic site, if you wait for the ground um this this weekend, this beautiful design has been done by Sam Richardson one of our designers at The Athletic, and it's just stunning. I'm really, really excited, feel very emotional about this weekend already, and, yeah, it just feels like a lovely way to celebrate this great man and also to, you know, raise awareness and hopefully raise some funds for the Sir Bobby Robson Foundation.
2: I'm going to have to be completely honest with you, George. I've been excited about this for quite a while, and you've been talking about this to us on and off at times uh, in the last few months and weeks Uh, And I listened to the first couple of episodes this morning while I was out walking the dog, and I know it's a bit of a cliche, but the thing of the hair standing up on your arms or the back of your neck, when you hear that great man's voice again, speaking words that you've never heard him say and talking about things that he wouldn't normally talk about, it was just magnificent.
1: Oh, thank you.
2: And I have to say you've done a you've done an incredible job, you and Ollie. Uh, you know, I'm I'm not here to, to blow smoke, but that is <laughs> that is that is properly special. And oh, as a Newcastle you. fan and just as a football fan, it, it is it is a beautiful piece of work and you should be really, really proud of it. Honestly, you well, really should. That, it's
1: great. That does make me feel very proud, and it makes me feel very emotional. And I, I do I do appreciate that. I think one of the things is that you you know, certainly when I when I kind of work with with people with Bobby at some point somewhere along the way the relationship changes and I just I just had this thing that I wanted to make him proud I wanted to like be worthy of him um and obviously that was it was about writing writing a book and he wasn't very well at this time when when I thought about turning the these recordings uh into something like this into a podcast I didn't think that kind of my voice would appear on it. But of course, when you listen back to it, it is this very intimate thing where we're having a conversation. We're looking through photographs. It's like stirring memories in him. And we're, we're kind of chatting to each other. And yeah, it's it's Bobby in a, in a sort of environment that you've not heard him before. He was vulnerable at that point. You know, he was ailing. It was towards the end of his life. Um, you know, I have to... Kind of warn you that the fourth the, the fourth episode where he where he talks about setting up the foundation is brilliant foundation that raises you know that raises money to to help you know treat and and fund cancer research through the NHS. It's a very very powerful listen, but I think the fact that it's somebody like him talking about cancer makes it all the more important. I have to say a big thank you to his family who've who've allowed us to do this. But yeah, it's um it's been a proper labour of love to to do it and all the way through the 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 hope is that you know the hope is that we'll make him proud.
2: Well I'm sure you have uh, and you can tell you've poured absolutely everything into this. Uh, Jacob, as a as a non Geordie and as someone who is spectacularly and disgustingly young, um what did you make of it all?
3: It's an interesting one because I was sort of thinking about this and I was talking to George about it, kind of uh, Bobby's last season at Newcastle was the first season of football I ever really remember, even even that's a bit of kind of a, a fuzzy memory. So kind of over the last six weeks, kind of one of the great joys of covering Newcastle has been not only learning about the club, but learning about Bobby. As a man, you kind of get that kind of wonder of learning about this kind of extraordinary life and thing which struck me, it, it kind of like starts as a cliche in that everyone has a story. But what I find amazing is that not one of the stories seems to be really about football, which is remarkable because he's like one of the greatest managers of the last kind of 50, 60 years. And yet none of them are really about football. They're about Bobby the man. And I think that's kind of what seems to me from this kind of outsider's perspective to be the special thing about him.
2: Absolutely. I mean, football is such a tribal thing, isn't it? And I think Bobby was one of those few people in football who crossed with all football fans. Everybody respected him. Everybody loved him. On the day that he died, um, I went to St. James's Park with a friend of mine called Tony Pottinger, who's a Sunderland fan. He wanted to go because of what B- Bobby meant to him and because of the affiliation with uh, the England team and Italian 90 and all that. And we went together and put football shirts on the seats and sat there and had... Had a few moments of quiet, and and he just crossed boundaries, didn't he? He was he was a monster yeah, of the game.
1: It doesn't, it just doesn't happen that. And um, no, I mean Sunderland fans sang his name on the day. You know, in the f- in the first game that they had after he, uh, that he after he died, it was a friendly match in Scotland. I remember. And yeah, for this fanzine that that we've produced, um, which will be on sale this week, so please keep an eye out for that. Um, there are contributions in it from Sunderland fans and also Middlesbrough fans. And it's 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 weird this thing. I mean, obviously England, you know, is a big part of that, and what he did, and the Italian ninety in particular, sort of changing the face of football in this country. But it was also something to do with his personality yeah, and yeah. the way that it straddled those boundaries. And on the podcast, in the in the in the fourth episode, he talks about going to Sunderland to watch a game at Sunderland when he's very very poorly, and two old Sunderland fans shouting to him and handing him a twenty. 20- quid note and a 10 quid note for his charity um just very powerful and i I do also want to um to say a big thank you to jacob who so when i said last week that i was feeling a bit broken one of the reasons for that is because jacob came up with this absolutely beautiful idea which was to walk from langley park where bobby grew up where he went down the pit as a as a um, as a young man and also where uh football Came into his life to walk from Langley Park to St James's Park, but it was also Jacob, wasn't it? It was tr- kind of tracing, tracing the journey that Bobby had
3: had made as a kid. Bobby wrote himself that kind of Newcastle was made by all of the villages, its surroundings, and our kind of was to walk through these backgrounds and kind of find not only kind of how it makes up Newcastle as a city and a club, but also kind of Bobby's own journey through that landscape. It's kind of all based around he used to get a bus from Langley Park, to St James's, for the matches. And so we are pretty much following the route of that bus uh, on foot and kind of stopping on the way, for example, at uh, Saxton, Wood and Gilbert, where his family used to live, stopping at Chesterley Street where Newcastle used to train and kind of just kind of finding the little bits of Bobby along the way and uh, also getting a few blisters.
2: That's some distance, that.
1: Yeah, 21... Twenty one miles, so no wonder I was broken. My God! Um But I was also broken, broken emotionally. I have to say, there was one, there was one low, there was well, there's a few low points now, now that I remember. But there was one particular <laughs> low point. So, yeah, I mean, it was like we were trying to follow this route as literally as possible. And please, please read it when it when it goes up on the site this weekend because it is it's an absolutely stunning. Piece of writing from, from Jacob, who is not only is he disgustingly young, he's also revoltingly talented. Um, <laughs> but um, there was a, mo- a moment where we hadn't had anything to eat, and we were definitely running low on um, a, a new, sort of nutrition and whatever. And we got we stopped into a stopped a little co op. We knew we weren't going to get to Phoenix in time to have a cup of tea and a ham sandwich, which is what Bobby had always done. On a on a Saturday, we were able to get to Phoenix and sort of touch the door as it was closing. Anyway, I bought myself a ham and peas pudding sandwich, so I felt like I'd sort of lived up to the you know you know done the right kind of thing, even if in the wrong location. Jacob, however, thinking back to Bobby talking about how much he loved Sundays and how much he adored. Yorkshire pudding. If you listen to the podcast, the first podcast, he talks at great length about Yorkshire pudding. But I had to watch Jacob buy a family pack of pre-cooked Yorkshire puddings and then walk along the main dragon, Fell, which felt like it was going to go on forever, and just watch him munch on these Yorkshire puddings. And he was totally happy and totally fine. I, however, it was quite interesting, I have rarely in my life felt as low as I did. Walking next to Jacob watching him eat these <laughs> yorkshire puddings and it took a lot of kind of encouragement and support from him to to under also a pint uh to raise my spirits again but there you go. Yeah, it was a it was a great thing to do. That I loved it.
2: You can't have been getting much from that, Jacob. You can't have gotten much from dry Yorkshire puddings. So. Well, I
0: think George
3: was a called them them pre cooked. They weren't quite even cooked. They still <laughs> need just four minutes in the oven to finish them off. Raw. And there's also a low point where um, we're about to we're waiting to go round a roundabout and gritter no. lorry came past, yeah. and sort of started spewing out salt into the sort of hollow bits of my half eaten Yorkshire pudding. <laughs> Which also yes. felt a bit. Um,
2: Good Lord. Didn't feel
3: ideal. But I had a couple left over which I could heat up and have with soup the next day, which is an entirely normal <laughs> accompaniment. Yorkshire so puddings. Yorkshire, to Yorkshire puddings and soup. Did and you, you put the
1: soup inside the Yorkshire puddings? You could have done that. No,
3: I dipped it as a kind of bread oh, substitute. Okay, nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. fine.
2: Good lord! And then did you take your shoes off and drive to Aberdeen <laughs> barefoot whilst whilst eating a Toblerone? Because that sounds like the kind of you've already embraced the the breakdown fa- phase of Chris Wolf, haven't you? That's what you've done there. <sighs> my God! Living on
3: my own, which I haven't done for a few years, has sort of created that sort of dining experience
1: <laughs> well it was a bi- honestly it was beautiful and i know i've already said it but please 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 read jacob's piece from um from that it's really special and to carry on with the emotional theme i do want to thank jacob for everything he's done since coming up to the northeast been an absolutely brilliant addition on the writing side and also on the podcast very very lucky to have him absolutely yeah. and you know you're a friend for life
0: yeah
2: yeah great stuff we have to say as well, if you, uh, if you get onto the Pod on the Tine stream, the Bobby Ninety podcast will be on there. It is, I have to say again, I know we said this before, it is a beautiful piece of work. It's an amazing project, George. You and Ollie have done a great job on it and everybody else who's been involved and, and Jacob as well. It's, it's, it's a fantastic bit of work and I urge anybody uh, who, likes, uh, who likes their podcast to have a listen because it is brilliant.
1: Thank you, thank you, thank you. And I should have said one of the pieces that's going up this week. In fact, it'll be out by the time the podcast uh, comes out. I've done a I've done a written piece on Bobby's influence at Newcastle now. So, in other words, in the club as it is now. I hope and think it's that's quite special to chatting to people like Dan Byrne. I took him back to the seat where he watched the team as a kid because his first memory is of is is of watching Sir Bobby's team in the Champions League. So that was really special and. Also talking to people like Steve Harper and Shoda Amiobi, both players under Bobby, of course, um, now have positions of prominence at Newcastle. Neil Stoker, who's on the kit staff, was given a full-time job by Bobby. And just trying to examine you know, why there is this relationship with him. Um, he was Newcastle manager for five years. Newcastle didn't win anything. It was a very, very special time. Um, but there is a reason why there's this resonance and why he still means so much to us. The interesting thing, what those people said was he gave unity back to Newcastle at a time when they were bottom of the table, when the club was, the dressing room was riven by civil war, really. There was no money left. They had no training facilities to speak of, no academy. And he rebuilt the club and got them back uh, into the top four or five. But it was about that feeling. And people are talking about that being back now, which is really, really encouraging that there are a lot of parallels between then and now anyway sorry um but I did I did want to just talk about that because Bobby is still at the club now he's there obviously as a legendary iconic figure but there was a lot of him still in the club right now and that is um, that's very powerful
2: Wonderful stuff. Uh, And of course, chaps, uh, before we finish off, before we sign off for the day, there is the small matter of a game with Jurgen Klopp's Liverpool at the weekend, a fittingly formidable opponent, one of uh, English football's great clubs. Uh, Even if they haven't been firing on all cylinders so far this season, Jacob, they're a dangerous prospect, aren't they? And Newcastle will have to be at their very best to get anything out of that game. I know
3: this well because we're recording approximately two hours before kick off of the Merseyside Derby, which I'm absolutely <laughs> dreading from an Everton perspective, <laughs> and they are still dangerous. Um, yeah, I think what's quite interesting about it is kind of both teams are a little bit short in midfield at the moment. Liverpool as a lack of form and because of injuries, and Newcastle because of Bruno's suspension. Joe Willock limped off against Bournemouth. Don't yet know if he's going to be fit for it, and sort of could lead to this weird kind of donut-shaped game with this kind of derf in the middle of the park, um, which I think could lead to quite an interesting watch.
2: Five at the back, five up front. That's what we should... Both teams... Exactly, best football. We agree to it before the kick-off, and that's what we go with, and we'll see how it turns out.
1: I mean, it, it, that, that game earlier this season, I mean, it's still Newcastle's only league defeat of the season, which is remarkable, and particularly when you remember how that defeat came about, whatever it was, it what was it, 98th, 98th, 99th minute winner for Liverpool... Yeah. And you know Eddie Howe talked after that after that about how it stayed with him. It stayed with them for a very very long time, but I I think that that was one of the staging points of the season. Newcastle had had that sort of quite difficult start um, uh, in the league, but they went there. They took absolutely no shit at all. It was really the kind of first time. I'd, it was the dawning wasn't it? Yeah, the dawning yeah, I of mean, the age of shithousery. That's yeah, what it was. Yeah, I mean I I should go back. They'd had that incredible draw with Man City and played brilliantly, but they irritated the hell out of Liverpool and Anfield and they went there they didn't take any prisoners. They fought and fought and fought and yes it ended badly, but it didn't linger and I think that was the kind of I, I do think that was a very important positive moment for the team actually and it sort of crystallized a lot about them but I do think you know if you're if you're Eddie Howe if you're in that dressing room you'll be looking at this game at the weekend as a chance to kind of make a point back that's why I, I think this is a really good game for the team to have I mean obviously we don't want injuries for Newcastle players or suspensions or anything like that of the cup final but just to make a point that that was a new Newcastle we saw that day and uh, yeah let's have a bit of that.
2: Absolutely. Jacob, do you think the absence of, of some midfielders for Newcastle could force a, a change of shape from Eddie Howell, Or Do you think he'll stick with uh, tried and tested and just try and fit those pieces in?
3: He's been trialling the 4 3 one a little bit. I actually wrote at the weekend about how that's something which harks back to his Bournemouth days, which is quite interesting. Yeah. And that could be something he potentially looks at in the future. I actually thought Elliot Anderson looked okay when he came on against Bournemouth. It was one of his more encouraging cameos. And so he could potentially come in as an option, especially if Willock's not fit. I'd be slightly wary about changing formation ahead of such a big game against this, against a team in Liverpool who still are, I think at the moment, European rivals. Yeah. I think you'll consider it. I'd be surprised if he does it.
2: Fair play. Uh, Right then. Shall we wrap things up, chaps? We probably
3: should, yeah. Yeah, we probably
2: should, shouldn't we? Uh, Thanks very much, everyone, for listening. And if you're a Newcastle fan, there is literally no better time. Than right now to join The Athletic with all the fantastic Bobby Ninety stuff. Cup final just round the corner, the top four, still in touch and distance as well. Go to theathletic.com forward slash Pod where you can pick up a subscription and pay just £1.99 a month for your first year. Thanks very much, chaps. Thanks to Chris Woff, who's uh, disappeared early doors again, obviously on father duties this evening. Thanks to you, Chris. Uh, cheers, Jacob. Thanks for your time. Cheers for having me, enjoyed it. No problem at all. And as always, George, thank you very much to you.
0: Thank
1: you very much. Big week this week. Ooh, but next week, oh, big week next week too. Oh.
2: Let's just let's just take it one game at a time. All right. And all those other cliches. Yeah. Excellent stuff. Right then. Take care, everybody. Speak to you soon. This has been Pod on the Time. Bye bye.
1: Hello, it's George, Jacob, and I are just leaving Langley Park. Langley Park, where Sir Bobby Robson grew up. And it's quite strange because I've lost all sense of direction being here. But um, we visited a memorial for the colliery, which actually closed when I was at school here. We've um, found his gravestone, and we've gone past the Methodist Church and uh, we started off at the top of the hill that he used to sledge down and now we're heading towards Witten Gilbert where he would walk with his family every Sunday after chapel and uh, he would kick a stone and get a clip round the ear off his dad for messing up his boots so this is stop number one first part of it and we'll check in a bit later we're now walking out of Witten gilbert towards Sacriston, where Bobby was born. Now, please explain, Jacob, why we're holding a confectionery product in our hands and what is it?
3: So Sunday lunchtime and Bobby used to have this tradition of walking across the fields out to Langley Park towards Witten gilbert towards where his grandmother lived and he'd kick a stone underway, wear out his shoes, which annoyed his father. I think his father was kind of an amateur cobbler. He used to put them back together But the treat when he got to his grandmother's house In Whitton Gilbert Was to have a two penny cornet And so we've done our best to evoke that We've got a £1.50 Cornetto go From the finest Morrisons in Whitton Gilbert To try and uh, try and mimic that but We've got a quite strange look at buying this At 11 o'clock in the morning On a day when there's
1: still frost on the ground And what's your review of the Cornetto Go, go?
3: I'm surprised, it's, so just to kind of paint the picture, it's like a giant frozen Oreo, mm. but the outside's kind of surprisingly soft. Yeah. I don't know if it's an ice cream I'd return to. Yeah. Well,
1: we're doing our best for you. We're um, we're coming out of Berkeley. I have to say that my spirits have been I've been very high throughout this uh, journey, it's been really great and it's been emotional um, and fun and it's been good to chat to, to Jacob but we are on a long stretch of road and we have just gone into a cop to get some supplies and, which is fine because we were ready for it but Jacob had the idea of buying some cold Yorkshire puddings because Bobby always used to eat Yorkshire puddings on a Sunday, described himself as a big Yorkshire pudding man. And I've just had to watch Jacob eat two co-op Yorkshire puddings, and I think my spirit is now now broken.
3: So George is putting on this act here, sort of like he's on with Nell and I style March on holiday, but um, now having a go at my commitment to the task in hand by eating the Yorkshire puddings... But in all, in all fairness, I feel like my spirits should be lower than George. The second part of my meal is a cold cheese and onion pasty. Well, George has sort of got a lovely pack of waters, walkers, tomato ketchup and uh, ham and peace pudding. Yeah, no,
1: that's quite good.
3: But um, no, spirit's still high at this end, at least. And uh, we'll try and try and get George to the end. Hi, it's Jacob here in Saltwell Park. Um, and I'm slightly ahead of George, he's been slightly held up on this steep section of ground. We're approaching the end, which uh, has put both of us in high spirits. And we're in Saltwell Park, a slight diversion off the main road to Newcastle from Chesterley Street because um, it's where Paul Gascon used to play at the weekend. And he's a player who is obviously so linked with Bobby, kind of Bobby 90 project, paying reference to that famous tournament. But there is a decided lack of anything football-y. It's a lovely lake and a small cage with a goal in, but nearly there. And George is questioning why we went down the hill to, to this point. Have you changed your mind at all? No, I mean, I am
1: I'm in reflective mood now that we've reached this point, which is um, 18.66 miles into it. But really what I'm reflecting on is why I agreed to do this in the first place um no, not a lot of football but i'd i 'd quite like to kick you um but we are in striking distance of home and that's uh, and that 's good but no it 's been a good walk but the last um well the last seventeen miles has been a bit of a slog hasn't it
3: right owner with the right money with the right manager who makes good buys and buys well sensibly and can know the game well and be tactically adept and and it's there it's there for a manager to be successful it really is it's it's just a case of getting it right we have the public we have the stadium I think that the owner or the chairman and the manager are crucial to each other if that's a good partnership and they're backing each other up and they're supporting each other there's no reason why it can't be in the top four all of the time the athletics